0: Good evening and welcome to this, the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. This is a special podcast brought to you because normally we do our podcasts and we release them on a Thursday. But this is a quick one that we wanted to get out because obviously recently we've had the budget which uh, came out, um, well, at the time of this coming up, this podcast coming out, it'll probably be a week and a bit ago. So what I wanted to do, um, it's Chris Howard, by the way, from Base uh, Partners, obviously. <laughs> what I wanted to do today is uh, just grab a friend and colleague who works at a law firm, Uh, jmw solicitors just to talk through some of the employment side of the uh, budget because obviously there's lots of information that's come out from the budget we won't focus on absolutely everything because that would be a six-hour podcast and nobody's going to sit down and listen to a six-hour podcast about the budget 2021 but uh, we are going to talk about the employment side of it so with me today i've got paul chamberlain paul nice to see you again
1: thank you nice to be back
0: Uh, I say see because this is obviously a podcast, but you and I can see each other. Unfortunately, the listeners can't see um, your wonderful, uh, your wonderful face. But uh, if they look you up on LinkedIn, I'm sure they'll be able to see and connect with you as well. So we're going to talk budget. Before we do that, though, just for those people that didn't uh, perhaps um, join us for the podcast, you and I ran and talked a little bit about furlough and some of the latest sort of developments from the government announcement, which I think was about six months ago now. Can you just give us a bit of an overview as to yourself and also to the business as well and and the bits that you guys cover?
1: I can. Thanks very much, Chris. Yeah. So the firm I work at is JMW Solicitors. We uh, Uh, We have a head office in Manchester. We've got uh, other offices in London and Liverpool. We're a full-service commercial law firm. Uh, We've got close to 600 people and very nearly uh, 100 partners. And we provide the full support that you would expect any large commercial firm to provide to uh, businesses. We've got PLC clients, owner-managed businesses, and SMEs, I head up the employment law team at the Manchester office. It's a a, a 14 strong team uh, and we provide predominantly employers with advice in relation to the whole gamut and range of employment issues that they'll come across through recruitment to uh, managing dismissal and grievances and dealing with employment tribunal claims. We also get involved in litigation around post-termination restrictive covenants Uh, and we've got specific expertise in a couple of uh, sector areas one is recruitment and that's how chris and i know each other from a previous life Uh, and we also do a lot of work in food retail but we've got clients across Uh, across the piece.
0: Yeah and um, let's talk specifically about what you've seen for the last six months because just before we uh, went on air for today's podcast obviously we're having a little chat about it but just for the benefit of our our listeners I just want to talk to you about you know, what's is there anything interesting you can pick out since we last spoke? And when we last spoke, the government had just announced the extension to the furlough. I think it was September, October time, and so there were still a lot of questions in the air, and there was a lot of uncertainty. And then, of course, we went into the additional lockdown. So, if you can just give us a flavour as to some of the uh, some of the the conversations that you've had, some of the some of the interesting points that you guys have had to deal with over the last six months, that'd be great.
1: Yeah. Okay. So. I think the last time we spoke, Chris, you're right, we were just looking at an initial furlough extension. Uh, and I think what we'd seen in the lead up to that was an increase in inquiries from employers about redundancy. Mm. They were concerned, of course, you might remember back then, there was a tapering off of assistance from the government, the government contributing less to the furlough grant and the employer being expected to contribute more. And in certain sectors, that was that really wasn't helpful at all. For food uh, food and drink and hospitality, for example, which is effectively still closed down, there's very little point in asking those employers to put their hands in their pockets and make a contribution towards the cost of furloughing their staff because they've got no income. There's nothing coming in. So we were, we were dealing with that and we were dealing with employers who were throwing their shoulders up and saying, well, this tapered arrangement doesn't help us equally flexible furlough, which we were talking about at the time, Chris, you might remember, that doesn't really help us either. So we're going to have to move towards redundancy. Uh, So we did see a bit of a spike in instructions trying to assist employers through a redundancy exercise, and 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 we you know we dealt with some some big exercises where there were pretty significant collective consultation obligations that had to be discharged. As things have progressed through the current lockdown, I don't think we were altogether too surprised when it was leaked that the chancellor was going to consider a further extension of the scheme. This this current scheme was due to end in April, and a day before. Uh, the budget, you'll remember, uh, one of Rishi Sunak's colleagues suggested that actually he was contemplating extending it, and lo and behold, in the budget announcement, he did extend it, and he's extended it to uh, the end of September. So I think there's a recognition that things are still not right, and that there are uh, areas of the economy that need support. The The number of people on furlough has reduced quite significantly. And in our experience, Chris, since we spoke last, I think it's fair to say that those clients of ours who are using furlough are using it on a flexible basis. So that's where the employees come back for part of the week and the employer pays them as normal. And then for the remainder of the week, when there isn't the work around or there's not enough demand, they're then furloughed and they're claiming from a government scheme. And, And most employers... Most clients of mine who were using furlough are doing it on that flexible basis. So we've got the extension. I mean, do you want me to just give a bit of an overview as to what the extension looks like?
0: Yes, please, if you could. And also, one of the questions that I had was um, whether or not it's affecting all industries, because as you said, you've got some businesses that are still reliant on furlough you've got some businesses that look like they're doing this kind of hybrid approach and then obviously there'll be some organizations that will have very few people on furlough just because of the nature of where we're at and people starting to return to the office and things like that so yeah a bit of an overview um, would be great okay
1: so so they so that so there's no discrimination in the scheme in the sense that if if you qualify if your employer qualifies to claim it and you qualify as an employee uh, able to receive it then you can claim the grant there's no there's no differentiation in terms of the scheme rules across different sectors, there, there has been some demand politically for particular relief or assistance to be given in certain badly affected sectors. But I think the government's resisted that because it's probably too hard enough to crack. So that so the scheme does apply generally across the piece. What what the what the announcement made in the budget does is extends the scheme to the end of. September the the amount of support is 80% subject to the usual monthly cap but we have we we are are moving again back into a tapered relief situation i think the chancellor is hoping that this extension will be the last extension um yeah i mean he can't say for certain it'll be the last extension but the way that he's structured it suggests to me that he thinks it, it will probably be the last extension. The reason I say that is because the contribution from employers uh, increases to 10% in July, and then that that increases again, a stepped increase to 20% in August and September. Now, the current arrangements are that government pays 80%, but the employer still has to pay national insurance contributions and pension contributions, auto enrolment pension contributions, that's the cost that's already built into the scheme for employers. They'll have to continue making those contributions and paying those amounts, but they'll also have to make a contribution to the salary element,
0: 10%
1: from July and 20% from August. So again, if it pans out in the same way as it did towards the end of last year, I suspect we will see fewer people, fewer employers taking advantage of it because of that increased financial contribution, unless they think that with the vaccination programme that we're going to come out of lockdown quicker, that life is going to get back to normal more quickly and business is going to return to normal. If they think they can hold on, then you might find that they'll continue to take advantage of the scheme, even though it's costing them some money. Uh, and then when we get to a point when business opens up a little more than it than it can at present, hopefully they'll stay in business and they can bring their employees back.
0: Yeah, and there's also a question around fraud, isn't there, that's come from this budget, because one of the things that I think you hear the red-top tabloids often jumping on these types of things where people have cheated the system or tried to, tried to pull a fast one, so to speak, but there's been some uh, announcements on fraud w- with regard to, to furlough, haven't there as well? So, yeah. how, are the go- how are the government going to ensure that there's no kind of fraud- fraudulent situations that it can, uh, it can overcome?
1: So, so they made some announcements not long after the furlough scheme was brought in. Uh, no. And they said that they were very keen to make sure that the system wasn't abused. That was a very, very big scheme that was brought in over an extremely short period of time. So there are are some issues with it. There's a lot of honesty and trust required within the scheme. And of course, some employers have have played the scheme, some have defrauded the scheme. And in fact, there have been some some press reports over the last six months about uh, employers who have been investigated and prosecuted for... Well, or fraud. There are two angles to this. I think, Chris. Actually, one is one's fraud, where the employer sets out to to make a claim that it knows it shouldn't make and isn't entitled to make. And then there are employers who, perhaps through no fault of their own, have made claims when they've perhaps misinterpreted the rules. So they perhaps shouldn't have made claims, but they have made claims. They've not done it from a from a fraud perspective. So they're not been fraudulent about it. They've just they've just misunderstood. And equally, there are there are some employers who will have made claims and they've got the calculations wrong. So they've they've overclaimed. Perhaps they've claimed for people they shouldn't have claimed for, or they or they've just got the numbers wrong when they've made the claims. The, the, the HMRC are interested in 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 both of those. But what they have done is they've brought in a a form of amnesty. I mean, there are some pretty detailed rules around the amnesty, which we haven't got time to go into today. But um, what we're recommending clients do is if they've used the furlough scheme at all since it was brought in, perhaps they, with their accountants or uh, other advisors, go back and look at the claims that they've made to make sure that they were legitimate claims and they were accurately calculated claims. And if it becomes if it becomes clear that they got it wrong, then this amnesty allows them now to declare that to HMRC. And HMRC say if you do that within the appropriate time frame, then they won't take any action, they won't take any action against you. So so there's there's that, which I think all, all employers should give some serious thought to, because no no one can say they got it right first time, and it will be useful exercise to go back through it. But on the enforcement front, which I think was was probably the main thrust of your question. Yeah. In, in the budget, the Chancellor did announce that they were going to invest uh, about £100 million in what's, what they're calling a Taxpayer Protection Task Force, and that'll be over a 1,000 HMRC staff engage specifically to combat fraud in, in the various COVID-19 support packages so that's the job retention scheme the furlough scheme and the, and the self-employed schemes that have been available now that is that's one of the largest ever responses to a fraud risk by HMRC it's a significant investment but when you think that some people out there are suggesting that upwards of two or three billion pounds might have been claimed fraudulently or in error. Um, HMRC are going to want to get that cash back.
0: That's a big so chunk of change.
1: Exactly. So they're very, very keen to um to sort of bare their teeth and to show people that they intend to take action, which is why this um, uh, which is why this amnesty is as important as I've tried to suggest it is.
0: Yeah. And businesses, like you said, trying to uh, making sure they're looking into it, because I think the government recognized that most, you know, they need businesses to start thriving again, to start really driving our economy. And so this idea that they're going to come down draconian with a, uh, you know, a, a heavy, uh, heavy duty tactics on businesses, whatever the size they are, you know, it's not going to be met. Um, very positively, particularly after also announcements around things like the corporation tax and stuff like that. But let's move on to some of the tax actually, because obviously, as a uh, as a HR community, one of the things that HR teams had to do quite quickly and react quite quickly to during the pandemic was getting people. Home and remote working, and there's been some announcements around tax exemptions, hasn't there, for, for COVID tests, but also for home office expenses. So, just for our uh, our HR directors and HR teams listening in to this podcast, can you just give us a little bit of an overview from that perspective on you know what what exactly the government announced in the budget?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the, there's there's a little bit of detail around this. So there's there are some tax tax breaks or some clarification the tax treatment of tests and also the use of your home as an office as it were so there's going to be some retrospective legislation in the finance bill which is which is the bill that comes from the budget to make sure that there's no income tax payable in respect of any COVID-19 antigen tests which might have been reimbursed by employers so employees who've taken antigen tests and the employers then reimbursed the, uh, the, the employee for the cost of those tests. So that there won't be any income tax payable in relation to that in respect to the, the 2020, 2021 tax year. Now that retrospective legislation effectively supplements, uh, supplements an existing exemption for employer-provided antigen tests and there are also some, uh, some NICs national insurance contribution, clarificatory provisions in relation to that as well. It's going to extend, the government's going to extend the income tax exemption, the national insurance contributions disregard, as it's called, for both employer-provided and employer-reimbursed antigen tests into the 2021-22 tax year. So that's that's the position in relation to COVID tests, the antigen tests. On the 11th of June, Last year, there was a a piece of legislation, I'll I'll tell you what it is, but it's a bit of a mouthful. It's called the Income Tax Bracket Exemption for Coronavirus-Related Home Office Expenses Regulations. Uh, Those came came into force uh, on the 11th of June last year, and they provide a temporary income tax and national insurance contributions exemption for reimbursed expenses of home office equipment. A lot of employers said to their employees, if you're working from home and you've not got the kit, tell us what you need, uh, or go out and buy it, put your Amazon order in, and when you get it, send us the invoice and we'll pay it. Questions were raised in those circumstances as to whether there'd be a tax charge, an income tax charge in relation to that provision of reimbursed expenditure, and the short answer is, there won't be or there isn't, and the Chancellor has announced in the budget that that exemption will be extended into the current tax year, uh, sorry, into the 2021-22 tax year, starting on the 6th of April. Now, we haven't got all of the details around that, but as always, we get the announcement and then we get the detail a little bit later. But that's good news, because as things currently stand, we're all still required to work from home where we can, and uh, people have made large purchases i'm sitting here in front of t- two screens i mean before lockdown i didn't have two screens i had a laptop um yeah and, well. I've got two, yeah and and you know people like you and i all over the country have bought various bits of equipment to enable their uh their home working life to be a lot easier and um, and and i think it's only right and proper that the government has said well don't worry uh, from a tax perspective on that That's what's been necessary. We've told you to do it. And it will be wrong if you face the tax charge as a consequence.
0: Yeah, so from an employer's point of view, from a from a HR, from a, a, a financing point of view as well, you know, it's important that you've got that kind of clarity from the government, that you you have that ability to to, to communicate that back to your staff as well. So I just wanted to just kick us along a little bit, um, just before we uh, start to, to round up the end of this podcast and, and talk about the self-employment income support scheme, SICE, um, a little bit more catchier than uh, your previous uh, uh, legislation bit that you mentioned but um, we have some clients and we have some businesses that we work with that have large numbers of self-employed workers. And of course, you've got, um, you've had implications over that for, for HR teams on, on dealing with those guys too. Yeah. Can you give us a bit of an overview as to what's changed or what's been announced from the self-employed side and um, particularly for those, again, for those HR and those businesses we work with that, that employ large volumes of um, self-employed workers?
1: Yeah, no no problems at all. Now, there there, have been a lot, I mean, if if you're on LinkedIn as often as I am, you'll see that lots of self-employed consultants who've fallen through the net, and there are many, many of them, have kicked up a stink, quite rightly, over the last uh, few months about not being able to access any of these grants. And I think the government has finally realised that the number of people who've fallen through the gaps is significant, and they probably ought to do something about it. So Mm. the Employed Income Support Scheme, the the, the fourth iteration of that scheme, the fourth grant, uh, we'll call it size four. There's been some clarification around that. What the Chancellor said is that that grant, which covers the period from February to April 2021, will be worth 80% of three months average trading profits. that'll be paid out in a single instalment and capped at £7,500 in total. And that grant can be claimed from late April. And importantly, self-employed people who filed a 1920 self-assessment tax return will be eligible for that fourth grant. So that means that over 600,000, we reckon, 600,000 self-employed individuals may now be eligible for the self-employed income support scheme, grants when they weren't before. And that includes those who were brand new to self-employment in 1920. Those were the, those were the people who'd, who'd effectively fallen through the gaps and who were, who were banging the drum to say, look, what are you going to do to help mm. us? The other eligibility criteria stays the same as it, as it did for the, for the third grant, so for size three. Size five, um, has been announced and the Chancellor's said this this will be the final self-employed grant and that will cover the period from May to September so it's dovetailed with furlough it covers the same period and mm-hmm. the value of that grant is going to be determined by a turnover test and what the Chancellor said is th- to do that or, or, or to, to have it determined by turnover means that it's targeted specifically at uh, those who need it most as the economy starts to reopen. So th- th- there's a lot of detail here, Chris, and I don't expect everybody to take it in, but I'll just, I- I'll just take you through very, very quickly three bullet points in relation to this new grant. So those whose turnovers fallen by 30% or more, they'll continue to receive the full grant, which is worth 80% of three months average trading profits, that's capped at seven and a half thousand pounds. And then those whose turnover that, that's fallen less, fallen by less rather than 30%, they'll get a 30% grant, and that's capped at 2,850 pounds. So there, that, that's that, that's the way it's been targeted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's to do with whether you satisfy a, a turnover test. And that final grant, Uh, Well, it's currently termed the final grant, who knows whether it will be the final grant, but that grant can be claimed from late July. So I think what the government have done this time round is realised that actually there were too many people who'd fallen through because of the way that they'd put the self-employed scheme together. That gap has been closed. It's not been completely eliminated. And then the the, the self-employed grant moving forwards is being targeted. So if you wanted to correlate the two, I suppose what you could say is the self-employed grant is being targeted by reference to a turnover test. The the furlough scheme for employees is being reduced over time. So it's slightly different ways of achieving the same objective, which is a a reduced burden for the state and an increased burden either for the self-employed themselves Or for the employers who employ people on. Yeah,
0: so there's a bit of. I guess, communication. If you are an employer, if you're working at um, a business that employs large volumes of self-employed workers, then there's a little bit of, of communication side. I mean, many self-employed workers will no doubt be going into the detail of this themselves. But I guess from a closing off the loop, there's always a, an opportunity as an employer, as a HR team, uh, to be able to, to have that knowledge to, to communicate back. So thank you very much Christopher. for for providing that that short right. update, we're just coming we're just coming towards the end of um, of the podcast. But I just got a, another quick question I want to ask, it's around immigration as well. There's obviously been um, some noise about the points based system, which the government's looking to introduce in March 2022. So, is there any sort of advice or little snippets that you can give us around that that came from the budget?
1: yeah i can give you snippets i'll make the point as i think i said to you earlier on i'm not an immigration lawyer but but the firm does have a a, a specialist immigration team so if anybody listening is interested in talking to us or wants a bit more detail about all of this we can put you in contact with our uh, our expert colleagues in our london office but just in, in very broad summary what the budget announced was the introduction by March of next year of what's being called an elite points based visa um, now in that visa there'll be a scale up stream um, as it's called and that will enable those with a job offer from a recognized uk scale up to qualify for what's called a fast track visa the government's proposing also to reform what it calls the global, talent, the global talent visa and that will be reformed in a way as to include uh, or to allow holders of international prizes and winners of scholarships and programs uh, for early promise to, to qualify automatically it's planning to renew or review rather the innovator visa to make it easy for those with the skills and experience to start an innovative business to get a visa in the first place. It's going to launch what's called a global business mobility visa. I mean, we are hundreds of these visas now being devised. A global business mobility visa by spring 2022. That's for overseas businesses to establish a present a presence in the UK or transfer staff to the UK. It's planning the government on providing practical support to small firms that are using the visa system for the first time because it's you know it's quite a technical area so there's going to be some practical support provided there and finally um, these are just announcements from the budget it's planning to modernize the immigration sponsorship system to make it easier to use and immigration lawyers will tell you that it's it's a bit clunky and could do with streamlining so I think all of those are good news certainly the provision of advice to small firms and the modernization Of the sponsorship system to make it easy to use i think both of those are very positive developments
0: yeah and certainly with a lot of employers a lot of businesses at the moment given that so many businesses have realized that they can do remote working there's lots of organizations that have suddenly thought actually we've got a wider access to a more global talent pool so being just um on top of or aware of some of these immigration uh, challenges or immigration announcements is Obviously, always very, very useful. Now, there's there's lots of things we could have gone through today. We're just about out of time, so um, I'm just going to wrap up now. But of course, if you want to talk to us about uh, any of the specific other areas of the budget, please feel free to do so. Of course, there's stuff in there about apprenticeships, about traineeships as well, and um, that I'm sure Paul would be Paul and his team would be more than happy to talk to you about if uh, if you did want to. But uh, Paul, thank you very much for taking a bit of time today. I know you're obviously very, very busy. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's been great chatting to you as always. I'm sure yeah, we'll be well on again to, uh, uh, well. to to talk again soon. But uh, thank you very much for coming on.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, everybody.
0: Um, And uh, we will see you again next time. Uh, There'll be a podcast again. This is an extraordinary podcast, if you like, that we're just releasing in between the usual program of events and podcasts that we normally do. But I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, You can catch us on all the usual channels. You get your podcasts. Until next time, thank you very much for listening uh, to the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.